Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Have you ever dropped your phone on the ground and broke it? Is that, did you break the screen and it cost you like a million dollars to replace it? So I was uh, down in a water well recently and uh, at the church property and I was cleaning it out and I had my phone in my back pocket. And so my phone went for a swim in the water, down in the water well. And uh, so I, I, I was thinking, oh no, you know, what am I going to do? I don't have a phone. And my oldest daughter said, well, dad, I've got an old iPhone 6. Why don't you just take this? And so uh, I had her phone for, I guess, maybe less than a day and dropped it and broke it because I didn't get a case for it yet. And it was shattered. So I could barely sort of make out, you know what I'm saying? When you break your phone and it's all shattered and you're trying to find your contacts and it takes you to some other app because you're not using it right. Well, that happened to me. And that's like what happened to Paul. And it was like Paul was trying to get to Asia like three times. And the Lord kept steering him away from Asia until the Lord's timing had come. And so Paul, it was like he was asking Siri, you know, Siri, how do I get to Asia? And Siri would answer, that doesn't compute. Well, no, no, Siri, how do I get to Asia? I'd really like to go to Ephesus and I'd really like to reach Macedonia for the gospel. I feel a burden. And then Siri would respond, God's not telling you to go to Syria yet, or he's not telling you to go to Macedonia yet. It's not his timing. And so, you know, Siri, no, no, I really, I need to go to Asia. Quit kidding around. You know, how do I get to Asia? And she says, oh, you want me to tell you a joke? Okay, great. The joke is you're trying to get to Asia when God hasn't led you there yet. You ever feel that way? It's like in life you run into a solid brick wall. And that was Paul. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to new believers because they were wondering about marriage and remarriage and divorce. They were wondering just about the basic questions of life. What is Christian liberty? What is communion? How do we observe that and all? When Paul wrote this letter, he was on his third missionary journey. And we know that he did stop by Asia eventually. And he came to Ephesus where he spent three years ministering. So God did open a door for Paul in his timing. It was on his third missionary journey. And we know that he was ministering there the word of God and the mysteries of Christ. You ever wonder why it was that God chose you? You might be wondering, no, but I'm wondering why God chose you. You might be wondering that, and that would be fair. But you're going to wonder, Lord, why me? Out of all the 7 billion people on the planet, Lord, why me? That's part of the mystery of Christ. It's a, 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 a wonderful thing to know that we are loved by God, that we're accepted by God, that we are in the beloved, that we have already inherited every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That blows my mind. That's something that Siri could never 
explained to me with my life. And my life just seems like a cracked screen. And uh, I'm trying to figure life out, but it's all sort of convoluted and nothing's really clear. And I think for you and I as believers, that's what our lives are like. We don't always know the right decision to make. We don't always know the right turn to make. And yet the Lord does. And uh, notice here that Paul mentions, he says uh, in verse 8, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and an effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. And, And through the leading and the powering of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life, and teaching, he was able to reach the entire province of Macedonia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just an amazing thing. Souls were converted. Listen to this. Men and women and boys and girls were reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People were getting saved. People were getting baptized. There were those that were getting discipled and all, becoming citizens of heaven. And because so many people were changing on the inside, spiritually and morally, it actually affected the lives that they were living. They no longer served and worshipped false gods there in Ephesus. They weren't speaking to uh, spiritists and all anymore. They weren't wanting to go to seances, wanting to talk to uh, loved ones that had passed away They weren't going to soothsayers anymore. The fortune tellers were going out of business because of Paul's preaching. So much so that there in Ephesus, you know, that was the epicenter of the place where they worshipped Diana. She was the goddess there, the primary goddess of Ephesus. And Ephesus is built up on a hill. And at the top of the hill, was a temple to the goddess Diana. And according to Paul's ministry, because it was so effective, it began to affect the economy of the craftsmen that were making these false gods and all. And, you know, if you were planting a crop and you wanted your crop to be successful, uh, there were people who they would go to the marketplace and they would look for a little god or a goddess and that god or goddess, maybe their attributes were they were sort of the god over agriculture. And so you would buy this little god, you put him on a shrine in your house, and, and you would bow down and worship that false idol. And the men that crafted those idols were going out of business because Paul's preaching. People were getting saved and changed. They weren't seeking false gods anymore because now they had a relationship with the true God. Christians were no longer buying these little false gods and all of that. The end result was an uproar in the marketplace. And there was a man named Demetrius there. He was a silversmith. And he profited by making these little goddesses, little images of the goddess Diana. And they were all losing money, so he incited a riot. And the crowd went to arrest Paul, and he was in the arena. And they went to arrest him. They couldn't find him. So the guy that he was staying with, Gaius, and another guy, Aristarchus, they found them, and they arrested them. And word got to Paul. Hey, Paul, there's a crowd in the arena, 
and they don't want to hear you preaching. <laughs> They're not here because they want to hear you, you know, your message on Jesus Christ. So you better book it out of town. And so he took off and he got out of town. And these people here that had arrested Gaius and all, when they couldn't find anything to charge him with, they let him go. And so that was Paul's experience there in Ephesus. And uh, just affecting the, the economy and all, just amazing ministry. And so Demetrius, you know, they were all crying out. And when uh, Paul was preaching that there was only one God, one true and living God, that sort of really rubbed against all of these artisans and the people of Ephesus. And so they started crying out there in the arena, great is Diana of Ephesus. Great is Diana in Ephesus. And the crowd just sort of got bigger and bigger and all of that. So they had to rush Paul out of town because they would have killed him if they had caught him. And so they told Paul what was going on and he got out of there and Paul had ministered there in Macedonia instead. And so we see that while Paul was in Ephesus, he said that he was there three years and he had three years of very effective ministry Tremendous opportunity came to him to preach the word of God. Uh, perhaps while on his trip to Israel, Pastor Ben will get a chance to teach a Bible study there at some location where maybe Paul preached or Peter preached or whatever. Now, the question that I have for you, the idea that I want to float out to you, and, and I want to see if your heart can catch it, is this. Who opens doors of opportunity for you? No matter whether it's ministry, career, family, who opens doors for you? Well, I can tell you that it's not you. And I can tell you it's not me. It's the Lord. I love the idea of that. We know that often the one that opens the door for you and I is the Lord. We know that Paul wasn't somebody who opened doors for himself. Over in Acts 16.6, you can turn there with me in your Bibles to Acts 16.6. We're going to talk a little bit about Paul, and I want you to see here that Paul was frustrated because he was trying to get to Asia. He had a burden for Asia, and yet, the door wouldn't open. And I want you to relate to that in a way where you say, yeah, there's times in my life where I get frustrated and I wish life wasn't the way that it was. Life hasn't turned out the way that I was hoping it would. And, and so see that, please, as we read this passage. In Acts 16, 6, that Paul tried previously to open a door to Asia himself. It says, now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Well, no, wait, wait. Okay, hang on a minute here. Let's push the pause button here. Wait a minute. Paul has a burden to go. And it's the Holy Spirit that is opposing this movement of Paul to preach the gospel there. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Why? Because it wasn't God's timing yet. Can you accept that? The question for myself is, can I accept that? 
that maybe what I want, it's not that God isn't going to do the work. Maybe it's just not the right timing yet. That's what I see when I read this verse. And after they had come to Messiah, verse 7, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit would not permit them. And so, passing through Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood, and he pleaded with him and said, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul wanted so desperately to travel to Asia, but the Spirit directed him to Macedonia instead. Why? Why the conflict here? Why the confusion? Why the broken screen on the smartphone? Why why couldn't Paul see ahead? As a matter of fact, Paul had to have a vision from the Lord. And a man from Macedonia said, come here and help us. Oh, okay, now I get it, Lord. Now I see that you want me to go there instead of Asia. Why the conflict of direction? Well, sometimes you and I, we don't get our directions right. How many of you here in the audience are direction challenged? Raise your hand up. If you're, okay, all right. Well, you're new here. We don't want you to come back. Your direction, you won't find it again anyway, right? And you're like, well, why is he talking to me in the first place? I'm just trying to hang out in the back here and be, you know, blend in. And he's calling me out. Who else? Who was somebody else was over direction challenge? You didn't raise your hand very high. <laughs> That's like, is that sort of direction challenge? It's like not a full commitment to it, but <laughs> just like Paul, there's times when I'm direction challenged. Now, practically, I'm not direction challenged. I can tell where I am by where the sun is in the sky. I just know. And, uh, so when I'm out riding my motorcycle out in the country and around Georgetown, like around here, it doesn't take you know you to get very far until you're on a farm to market road. And then there's just nothing. And that's what I like. I don't like cars behind me or in front of me and all of that. I like to just have it to myself. My son and I, we go riding together. And, uh, and so there's sometimes where we'll just take a road and we don't know where it goes. Let's just try this one. We haven't been this way before. But then trying to get our way back, it's not like you can, you know, when you're riding, you can look at your smartphone. Unless, you know, you've got one of those big, you know, cruisers or whatever that, you know, you can put your smartphone on your handlebar. There's a bracket for it. And there's a sound system and all of that. I don't have that. (laughs) And I'm not going to stop and look at my phone for directions. I just look at the sun. Oh, I know that it is sort of heading over to the west and all I know Georgetown is that way, depending on where I'm riding. But there's times when I don't know where the Lord is leading me. You feel that way too? There's times when I can't say, hey, you know, this is what God's doing. We bought an additional 20 acres of property a couple of years ago in a town that's about 12 miles from the church. And so we have the 19 acres there in Georgetown, where our church is, and then we have another 20 in a town about 12 miles from there. And people were asking me, well, why are we buying this property? 
And I said, I don't know. God just told us to do it. Yeah, but why are we buying the property? You know, you got to give me a better explanation. I don't know. I can't see ahead of me. I don't know. I just know we're supposed to buy it. It's not that it has a shooting range and a lake and all of that. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Or that my kids have been going there and fishing and shooting for 15 years. It has nothing to do with that at all. But whether you're practically directionally challenged or spiritually directly challenged, maybe you can relate to me. And sometimes I don't always know where I'm going or the direction that I'm heading in. Sometimes I feel lost like you do, perhaps. Uh, I remember when I was living in California and I had a career. I worked 25 years in the oil industry. And uh, so we, I was praying about moving our family to a place that was more affordable than Los Angeles. And there was a job opening in Morgan City, Louisiana, for a, in the trade I was in. And I thought, well, I'll apply. I put my application in, and the next week a hurricane wiped it off the face of the map. It, that city isn't even there anymore. It's just gone. Directionally challenged. I thought, hey, this is, would be a great thing for the family. And the Lord said, nope, sorry. You send a little hurricane. <laughs> I'll, I'll wipe it off the map so you know you don't go there, right? I tried three times to move to Austin from Los Angeles. Every time I did, I failed. The last time when I got home, the Lord didn't open up the door for me to go. We were selling our house at the time. And there was a real estate sign in the front lawn. And I ripped I ripped the sign out of the grass and I threw it in the garage and I called the realtor and take it off the market. God's not leading, you know. But by that Christmas, I was in Austin. God did a work, but it wasn't in my timing. I was sure God wanted me there. But when we strive to force a door open, all we get is tired. <laughs> because God is good. He won't let us go in a direction we shouldn't go in. God shuts doors. God opens doors. But if we would just let the Lord lead us, if we would just let the Lord do it in his perfect timing, we would have perfect peace in our hearts. And when we just let God, work out his wonderful will, perfect will, we get peace and God gets the glory. Where I lose my peace is when I'm striving in something to make it happen when it isn't the Lord. And so who can open doors for you? I can't. You can't. Paul certainly couldn't. But God does. Paul said, a door has opened to me. It's God that empowers it's God that leads his children. It's God that gives us the strength to make it through. When we're striving, when we're frustrated, the Lord's so patient with us. Isn't he? <laughs> it's God that leads his kids. But sometimes we do get confused in our directions. For those of you that are directionally challenged, you can relate. I know you can. <laughs> if you're directionally challenged when you're driving, then you can relate to what Andy Stanley writes when he talks about how directionally challenged he is. And this is what he said. 
He said, I can speak as an authority on the art of getting lost. He said, now there's three things that you should know about those of us who are directionally challenged. He said, first, we don't start out to get lost, he says. He says, we don't start out to get lost. Nobody does that. In fact, just the opposite is true. Since we know that we are likely to get lost, we work hard on paying attention and following directions, but we just don't do well with unfamiliar territory. The second thing is, he said, uh, from those who are getting lost and all that, this is what he learned. He said, I never know exactly when it happens. I never know exactly when I'm lost. He said, I never know precise moment, which I've sort of made that incorrect turn or taken the wrong route. There's never a moment where a light goes off in my brain and I think, gee, I just got lost. If I back up 100 feet, I'll be unlost. He said, that doesn't work. Uh, Being lost is something that dawns on me, usually after I've been lost for, well, I don't know how long I've been lost until I realize I'm lost, which I guess is the point of, you know, what I'm trying to say, which he has confused me even saying that. So he, yeah, he's directionally challenged, yeah. The third thing about getting lost is this. The road I'm on always determines where I wind up. Does that make sense to you, Christian? Let me say that again, and I want you to think about it. The road I am on right now, it determines where I wind up. That's his point number three. He said, it really doesn't matter where I intended to be. The path I take determines my ultimate destination. Plans, intentions, spousal expectations, none of that counts. I always end up where the road I've chosen takes me. Like Andy Stanley, who admits that he's challenged when it comes to knowing where he's supposed to be at any given moment, Paul was sure it was Asia. But God changed his plans and he sent him to Macedonia instead. Because God closed the door on Paul in Acts chapter 16, he then opened the door for Paul in Acts 19. And he wound up going to Ephesus. It was just as perfect timing. And uh, it was the moment where God could use Paul to reach the province with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What can we learn from this? Well, check this out. That when we're patient, when we wait on the Lord, when we pray about opportunities instead of pouncing on opportunities, and I can tell you that's me. I pounce on opportunities. I don't necessarily always pray about them. That's why it's dangerous for me to go into a motorcycle dealership. True story. If I go in there and smell the rubber of the tires and how cool they, you just, you know, I'll go in there and sort of drool and I'll, I'll be like, okay, I'll take 10. I'll take 10 of, you know, you think I'm kidding. There's four in the garage now. 
And, and somebody said, well, why do you have four motorcycles in your garage? I said, well, five wouldn't fit. You don't have the room for it. And every time I go in there to do anything in my garage, I've, I've learned to weld now. I taught myself to weld. I bought a MIG welder and all. Every time I go in there, I got to move them out and put them back in. Every day I go in there. My wife calls herself a garage widow. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, being lost. Thank you. Waiting for the Lord. I remember when I first moved to Texas. I was working in Austin, but living in Georgetown. And it's about a 30 mile drive to work. But I didn't have air conditioning in my truck. And for five years, I drove that truck on I-35 and all that stop and go traffic. You know the drill, right? And uh, and every so my wife would say, especially if it was July or August, she'd say, "Don't remember, don't I mean, don't forget, stop by and get a slushy on the way home, so you won't fry your brain." You know. And I would have that thing gone by you know halfway through the commute. Window down. I'm trying to get air in. It's hot. And every day I would drive by a Dodge dealership. And those guys are so smart. They park this big Ram truck up on these rocks. This big four-wheel drive with a lift kit. Big tires and all. Extended cab. I knew it had air conditioning. And every day, and you think I'm making this up, but I'm not. Don't worry, Pastor Ben will be back, you know. I'm just the guest. But every day I would drive by this dealership and I would pray. Dear most holy Lord God Almighty. God of all provision. I pray, Lord, for that truck. Lord, it's got a lift kit. And with that extended cab, Lord, there's so many kids I could bring to church in that. With, you know, think of all the stuff I could haul, Lord, for your kingdom. <laughs> True story. And, and I prayed every day, Lord. And then one day I drove into the dealership. And, uh, and I thought, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go look at it. So I had to climb up on the rocks. So, so I'm standing up on the rocks and all the traffic's going by on the highway. And the guy at the dealership spots me, which is like bait that a great white shark, you know, spots. And he was coming towards me and I thought, I've got about 30 seconds, you know. So I real quick look at the price tag. And I don't remember. I think it was 40 something thousand dollars for that. I'm telling you, it was nice. And so I'm thinking, Lord, God of all heaven and earth, I sure would love this truck, Lord. And uh, and then I ran back to my truck as quick as I could because the, the guy from the dealership was getting closer, and I ditched him, and I got my truck and left. Now watch this. God could have allowed me to buy that truck, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with money. Watch this. Understand this. 
you can't love it. Your love is for the Lord God Almighty, but not for things. But there's nothing wrong with people who have. And so I was thinking, Lord, this definitely fits my portfolio, Lord. I could be, you know, what a wonderful pastor I would be if I had this truck. People would dig me, Lord, if I had this truck. Next week, I got laid off of work. And we brought, I think, about $15,000 from California so that we could buy a house in Georgetown. And that year, when I got laid off my job that I had, I spent a whole year just looking for the right job. I had like five different jobs during that year, so I was working, but I was trying to find the one that would take care of myself, my wife, and my four kids. And the Lord knew. He knew what was coming, that I would get that little pink slip, you know, you're laid off. You know, that truck, it would have cost me six or seven hundred bucks a month. And the Lord knew. And so the next day when I was driving by the dealership, I thought, Lord, you hate me. <laughs> because I could have that truck. And, you know, you, you, know, you ever pout? With the Lord? You ever pout? You're like, no, I never do. Don't lie to the Lord. We, we all know that we pout. And I was. God directed. It wasn't what I wanted. It was what he wanted. And Lord, if I had bought that truck, the debt I would have been in. And yet the Lord directed me from that. God is good. God opens doors. God shuts doors. But when we're patient, when we just wait on the Lord, He will bring His very best. As a matter of fact, God gives His very best to those who leave the choice to Him. That makes sense? Is that wisdom? I think it is. Therefore, be flexible. Let the Spirit lead you. Be okay with Him leading you. The worst thing that you can do, though, with the whole idea about being directed and am I heading in the right direction, Lord, being directly, directionally challenged and all, the worst thing that you can do as a Christian is nothing at all. God wants you moving for Him. God wants you walking with Him. God wants you usable. Get moving and allow for mid-course correction. Now, I want you to notice back in 1 Corinthians 16.9. So you can go back there in your Bibles. Look at 1 Corinthians 16.9. And I want you to notice what Paul writes again. And then we'll close with this. But I want you to notice what Paul writes here. He writes that the door opened for him by God, that door, you know what Paul calls it? He calls it great. Isn't that a cool thing? Man, I had a burden to go to Asia. I tried three times. The Spirit hindered me from going until it was God's timing. And when God opened the door, man, it was great. It wasn't tiny. It wasn't small. You know, it wasn't, you know, 
medium-sized door. It was great. And you know what? It was effective for the Lord. When God decides to move in our midst, when we see people change for the Lord, it's so thrilling. So often we limit which doors God opens and we limit which doors God closes because of our lack of faith. We just choose not to trust Him. On the other hand, faith can open doors that no one can shut. Faith does. You know what faith is, don't you? Faith is hearing God speak. And then responding to God with an attitude of depending on Him. And with actions of obedience to Him. Faith is simply taking God at His word. That's all it is. Well, that's simple. Well, I'm a simple guy. I weld. I mean, I'm a simple guy. And I didn't get that truck I really wanted. Now I'm not cool. People don't dig me because I don't have that truck. (laughs) I want to talk about an open door that happened to a man in Mark chapter 3. And I want to show you from this verse that Jesus cares about his people. And he wants to open doors that are according to his will. Watch this. Go over with me to Mark chapter 3. I want you to see how this idea of open doors for directionally challenged people can happen to this poor man that was here in the synagogue where Jesus went. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And Jesus entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely, meaning the religious leaders that were there. They watched him closely whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Now that's what he could do. The man with the withered hand could step forward. He could do that. He had two feet that worked. Step forward. And then he said to them, the religious leaders, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? To do good, to do evil, to save or kill. But they kept silent. And so when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by their hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. What the man could do is step. What the man could not do was reach. Now, my grandpa, on my mom's side, he was an engine mechanic in Long Beach. And he rebuilt motors for people. But he had lost all of the fingers on one hand. He just had his thumb. And he had lost one eye. And you think, well, he wasn't good with power tools. You know, why did he, why was his career working with engines? But he had lost all of them. 
and all and but he did the best work in Long Beach. He had a shop there on Pine Street, right where my mom grew up, right near there. And it just reminds me of my grandpa. Now, in my junior high sense of humor, I kind of see the guy, you know, he's got a good hand, he got a withered hand, right? And and I kind of see, you know, Lord, make my hand just like the other. Oh, no, Lord, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean make the other one withered too. I meant make them both work, you know. that I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can we not tell Ben that part? I'm sorry. But I do just think that. But it does say that he restored. Okay, there you go. That's the operative word. He restored his hand like the other. The Greek word for withered means to be dry, like a branch that you snap on and it snaps. That was what his hand was like. Imagine, please, just for a minute that you're there. You're in Capernaum. It's a beachside community on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So let's open up the windows a little bit and let's see what we can hear outside. Can you hear the waves crashing on the shore? Can you hear them? Can you hear the seagulls, the seabirds? It was a fishing community. About 1,500 people lived there. And there's a synagogue there in the middle of town. And you can smell the fish that they're processing. And you can see the men out there and they're mending their nets. The boats are there and all. That's where they are. This seaside community, the synagogue there. And you come in and you sit down for service. And you're thinking, this is going to be great. The priest is going to get up and he's going to read some scripture. There'll be some prayers and all. And we'll be dismissed. When you take your seat, it's next to a man who hasn't been there before. But you see that he has this deformity. One of his hands doesn't work like the other one does. But you want to greet him. You stick out your hand to shake hands with him. And it's awkward because that hand doesn't work. And so he shakes hands with you with his left hand. And you oh, sorry, kind of a thing. You feel awkward and bad and compassionate for the man because his hand doesn't work the way that it should. You shyly greet him. That compassion shows on your face towards this man. You say good morning. But just before the service starts, the back door to the synagogue opens and Jesus walks in. He's there with his disciples. And everybody turns To see him, everybody now has heard about this rabbi from Nazareth. And he walks in. You've heard so much about him. You've heard of all the miracles that he's performed. He's raised the dead. He's healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cast out demons. You've heard all about him. Cleansed leprosy. Now you remember that the man that you greeted when you came in has a withered hand. And you, your mind starts, starts to sort of put it all together. I wonder, is Jesus going to notice this man with the withered hand? 
Is he going to meet his greatest need? You're sitting there in the synagogue when suddenly Jesus walks up right in front of you. And you're thinking, oh no, what did I do? He's standing right in front of me. And he reaches down to this man with a withered hand. Suddenly, all the eyes in the synagogue are on Jesus. Everyone's looking at him. Some for the right reasons. Some for the wrong reasons. But everybody's looking at Jesus, aren't they? And you notice there, in the eyes of the Lord, as he looks at this man with the withered hand, you see a love there. You see a compassion on the face of the Lord. It warms your heart. You feel a sense of love coming from him. And at that moment, you're thinking to yourself, I have a feeling that Jesus is going to open for this man. This man with the withered hand. This man who has to work without all of his, you know, fingers and all. Having to work, do everything with one hand. I wonder, is Jesus going to open for him a great and an effective door? After all, what it would be like to have a withered hand that was healed. And you're wondering to yourself, I wonder if the Lord will do that or not. He's going to heal him. I just know that he is. As the man with the withered hand watches Jesus walk into the synagogue, what he has anticipated, he believes in his heart will happen. This man with the withered hand is expecting a miracle. He knows if the Lord notices him, he'll notice his infirmity. Jesus will heal him. Now, that is faith. I know that the Lord sees my need. I know he will minister to my need. That is faith. Now, I have no doubt in my mind, that the man with the withered hand was new to the synagogue. He had never been there before. And I believe that he was planted there by the religious leaders so that Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath day and then be able to accuse Jesus of violating the Sabbath law. Now, in their mind as religious leaders, they believe that that would have been a violation. And that's why Jesus was angry with them. The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. And the greater need was to heal this man on the Sabbath day. Jesus didn't do anything wrong by healing this man on the Sabbath day. Totally a legitimate thing. But they were there to entrap him. And so they secretly were hoping that Jesus would heal this man so that they might falsely accuse him. What about you? Why did you come here today? 
What were you thinking when you were getting ready? And when you were, you know, planning to come to church, you were thinking, well, Ben's going to be here, and there's this weird guy up there that threw me off, kind of thing. And, uh, but what were you thinking? Perhaps you came into the sanctuary today like the man with the withered hand. Maybe you noticed here how happy everybody else is. You know, just anointed worship today. I was so drawn into the throne room of God. And as I was worshiping the Lord, just loved it. Maybe that wasn't the same for you. Maybe what's going on in your life has dominated your thoughts. Your infirmity. Maybe you don't have a withered hand. But maybe there's something else going on in your life. And you need a touch from the Lord. Sometimes man's greatest need isn't a physical healing. Now, God loves to heal people on the physical level. And he does it all the time. I've seen it. But sometimes man's greatest need is on the spiritual level. Or perhaps on the emotional level. What was your reason for coming here today? Maybe you've noticed how God has blessed everybody else around you, but that's not your perception. You're sort of wondering when your day is going to come, when God walks up to you, when God takes your hand and says, stretch it forth. If that describes you, I want you to know that I'm with you, that I get you. Been there before. But I can tell you that just like there was a man there that had a great need in his life, just like the man who had this greatest need in the room, and how Jesus walked up to the man who had the greatest need, and he commanded him to stretch forth his hand, Jesus wants to come to you. And indeed, he is already here. We're experiencing his presence at this moment, aren't we? But you are the one Jesus is interested in. You. Yes, with your need. Yes, with your infirmities. With what's withered in your life. You are the one Jesus is interested in. He cares so much about you. The Lord loves you. No matter what. (laughs) I love that. Can I tell you something? I want to tell you that Jesus sees the damage that other people have caused in your life. Amen? You with me? He sees. He comes. He confronts that need. Breaks every chain. So that you're not defined by the damage other people have caused in your life. You are set free in Jesus' name. 
Can I tell you that Jesus knows all the pain that you daily stuff down there? (laughs) Been there. I'm with you. I understand that too. He also knows the hurt that is in our lives by our own sin. When we're drawn to things we shouldn't be drawn to, when we disobey the Lord, and when we blow it and sin, Jesus comes to us. Our withered life. And he says, stretch it out. Give it to me. He says. Now, in Mark 3, we already said that Jesus was there in the synagogue and all of the eyes of the people were on him. And he, his eyes are only fixed on this man who has the greatest need in the room. And he gives him this command. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did not ask the man. He didn't ask him how he managed with just one hand. Hey, how do you do that? You know, when you need two hands, what do you do? Kind of a thing. Jesus didn't ask him that. What Jesus asked him was to stretch out your hand. That's a command. It's not a request. Hey, would you mind? Is there any way that you could stretch your hand out so I can, you know? No, stretch out your hand is a command. Now, if I was sitting next to the man in the room, I would wonder, Jesus, how could you be so cruel? How could you ask the man who obviously has a withered hand to embarrass himself in front of everybody else in the room by asking him to stretch out his hand? Don't you see it's withered? That's what I would be thinking. Can I tell you that Jesus gave this man who had the withered hand an impossible command? You see that? Do you understand that he couldn't stretch his hand out? Do you understand in your heart that he was unable to comply with the command? Stretch out your hand. What do you mean, stretch out my hand? How could I? I'm crippled. I can't. I I have this infirmity. Christ gave him an impossible command. And as you sit there in the room next to him, it becomes awkward for a minute because you realize that what Jesus is asking the man just can't happen. Do you think that if the man could have stretched out his hand, he would have? I'm sure the man tried a million times to stretch it out. Why are you embarrassing this man, Lord? This poor man in front of this synagogue. He's the new guy, you know. It's not right, Lord. Can I just tell you, Christian? Your doubt. When you doubt the Lord, it'll always close the door. You with me? It always closes doors, doesn't it? My doubt will always voice the concern. Oh, no. If God 
opens a door, you know, what if it's the wrong one? Or what if I don't hear him right or whatever? What if I get the wrong direction? What if I try what God is calling me to do? What if I fail? What if I stretch out my heart? What if I stretch out my pain? What if I stretch out what others have done to me? What if I stretch out what I daily stuff down in my heart? What if I stretch it out and he doesn't heal it? What if I fail? Just like you and I, the man had two choices. He could argue with the command. He could tell Jesus in front of the whole synagogue all the reasons why he couldn't stretch out his hand. Here's A, B, and C. Medically, this is what the doctor says. This is why I can't stretch it out. Here's my, you know, result of my doctor's report. Here's why I can't. He had two choices. He could tell the Lord why, you know, the command of Jesus to stretch out your hand. He could tell the Lord why that wouldn't work. You ever do that with the Lord? God's calling you to do something, stretch out something in your life, or be stretched yourself in ministry, perhaps. And you begin telling the Lord all of the reasons why you can't do what he's calling you to do. Why you can't possibly stretch out your hand. The other choice would be to simply obey the Lord. Faith in God always says, I can do this. <laughs> I can do it. In his mind, he might have thought, well, I can't stretch out my hand. But in his heart, he was saying, I will. Oh, please. I'm going to stretch out my hand. And I can tell you that as soon as this man believed in his heart, as soon as he willed to obey the command of the Lord, suddenly he was given all of the capacity and all of the power and the ability to do it. His hand was healed. Just like the other. Now allow me to ask you today in regards to your needs. If a man with a withered hand could believe the command of Jesus, despite being planted there by the Pharisees, who expected that Jesus would heal the man, knowing that when Jesus saw the man, he would answer the man's need, Jesus would take swift action and minister to this man who had the withered hand if the man who was healed believed. Why shouldn't you? Who are you to limit God? To say in your heart, well, that's fine for that man. God healed him. There you are, limiting God again. You see how we can say to ourselves, well, the Lord wants to minister to everybody else, but it's, it's not for me. There you go. 
Now you're doubting again. My question for you is this. If the God you serve is all-powerful, if the God you serve can be everywhere at once in this universe that he's created, if God can do that for a man with a withered hand, why would you not expect every single day of your life to be filled with the miraculous? Why would you think in your life that God wouldn't do a work for you? That somehow you're the one that's disqualified. Why shouldn't you live your life every single day with the expectation God is going to work? I don't know how. Siri's not telling me as I look on my phone and it's all cracked and broken. I can't see. I don't know. But I don't have to. I just have to know the one who does the miracles. And now I'm okay. That's faith. It's just taking God at his word. That's all faith is. It's not complicated, and neither am I. <laughs> I want you to realize today that Jesus is just as interested in you, in you, in you, in you, in you, in you. He's just as interested in you as he was with that man with the withered hand. He's just as interested in that bad habit that you have that you've constantly been trying to fight and can't seem to get victory over. Those relationships where you just can't find victory. So frustrating. That place of weakness in your life. He's saying to you right now, you stretch it forth. Let me take it. Let me heal it in your life. Jesus is saying, be free of that thing that's just holding you down. But Lord, just like Eeyore, you know, Lord, you don't know how long I've struggled. There you go again. Come on. You don't know, Lord, how hard I have tried. And you're back to arguing with God again. Don't argue with Jesus. You obey him. The moment that you will in your heart to obey the Lord, you're going to discover that power. That power for new life, for new capacities. New opportunities in ministry. And my point is, You can obey. You can do this. But you got to stretch it out. You got to be willing to give God those insecurities, don't you? I want you to say, Yes, Lord. I see right now what you're asking me to do, and I'm stretching it out. Yes, Lord. And I want you to receive all that the Lord has for you today. I really do. I really do want to see you receive a healing for whatever it is in your life. In Jesus' name, receive it. Be healed. Be whole. Be restored. Paul said, 
man, when God opened the door for me and I finally got to Ephesus after all those tries and failed, when I finally got to Ephesus and I spent three years there, a great and an effective door was open for me. But there were many adversaries. Just make sure, Christian, that the adversary that you meet this week isn't yourself. Okay? Give it to God. Don't hold it anymore. I really, when I come back here next, if I ever have an opportunity to come back here again, I want to talk to you and I want to hear you say, I stretched it out. And you know what? I was restored. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word today. And I want to pray, Lord God, that you would go before us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to meet our adversaries. Just as Paul did. He said, man, there was a lot of ministry going on. And there was a a great and effective door. But man, the spiritual warfare around it was tremendous. Father, we know that there'll be adversaries that we will face. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name it wouldn't be ourselves. That we wouldn't be our greatest enemy, Lord. But we would obey the command. You told the man to stretch it forth, and he obeyed. Why should we do anything less? And why should we expect anything less than complete restoration and healing, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.